again. It's uh, another episode of Swing Thoughts. I'm Howard, that's Tim, a.k.a. Coach Tim, a.k.a. Golf Spiritual Leader. Once again. Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome, Tim. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here connecting with you in Mexico. Si, señor. Bienvenidos. Uh, buenos días, buenas tardes, buenas noches. Como están, chico y chicas? I'm very pleased, by the way, to... Uh, we have a big announcement today. Uh, but let's start by saying... Um, this is episode 250. That. Who, you know, I don't know that I don't know that I had a number in mind when we first <laughs> did you like, I brought the music back <laughs> Did you have a number? We got Dire Straits, we got Bernard Edwards on We days. got everything, man I didn't have a number in mind, did you, when we first started? I, you know, I, I should say when we very first started, I thought, okay I'm going to do a couple with this guy then I'm going to have to cut him loose <laughs> I don't know. It's a, 30, yeah. a 36 handicap. I don't, <laughs> it's right. I mean, I can play with a 36 handicap once in a while, but not every goddamn day. Uh, anyway, exactly. but no. Look at you. Look at the skills you've acquired in 250 episodes. Yeah, it must be close to being a 21 handicapper broadcast. No, no, single digits. You're single Aww. digits now, my friend. You're low. Well, you know, that's what I tell people when they ask me, you do a podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do with this guy, uh... I, and I always go, did you uh, grow up or live in the uh, Toronto area? Oh, yeah. Humble Howard. Oh, yeah. Humble and Fred. And I went, yeah, the guy's a plus handicap broadcaster. He's a good shit, too. And he's a stand-up Aww. comedian all that. Appreciate he's that. really good golfer. And I went, and he's be a pretty ideal guy to do a podcast with. Yep. <laughs> well, I would say congratulations to you and I. And yeah. uh, it's pretty cool. I, I know from, I know from, pardon me? I'm waving at oh, myself. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Those little, ja- <laughs> those little jazz hand things, you know? <laughs> I just, I, I got to apologize. I was looking for some uh, some copy here, and I looked up, and I saw you doing something with your hands. I'm like, is he okay? Is he having a stroke? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Episode 250, Coach Tim strokes out. We're so old. Yeah. Well, it, it, listen, so man. Long, you have to worry about them having strokes. That's right. One of us could just oh. stroke out. What I was going to say is we've been very lucky uh, our partnership and our friendship uh, now into its, I don't know, ninth year of doing this. Ninth, ninth year. What I was going to say is having been in the uh, podcast and radio business a long time, a lot of guys, and this has happened when Fred and I offered our studios to not only you and I, but to other people to produce podcasts for them. Very few people get past, uh, I think our average was we would bring in comics and they would do three or four, maybe five. Never, never heard from them again. Bring in some ex-radio people, broadcasters. I could name some names that you'd know. Came in, did two or three. Found out it was hard. And uh, so not very many get to 250. Hmm. I don't know. It might come off as modeling, but I think you and I just do what we love. <laughs> we love talking about this game, which is like it, it befuddles us. It agonizes us. It haunts us and thrills us. And, and it's just so interesting how it intersects with life and everything. And just, 
and it could be really funny to talk about. Well, so. and considering, okay, just full disclosure to the audience, we just started, we just hit record after talking for 25 minutes about golf. So, yeah, I would say that we're lucky because we would have done the podcast just for ourselves, which is, you know, the best, uh, you know, when, when you're creating art. <laughs> oh, there you are. Sorry. I'm just about made myself puke. From, so it's like it's like rock. We went from this ragtag bunch of teenagers yes. who were down in the basement. Yeah, yeah. Put all this caterwauling noise and chaos. And now we're artists. So when you're, as I was saying, Tim, uh, when you're creating when do we do art. Our theme? When do we do our theme album? Please. When you're creating art, the, the point of art, as Rick Rubin most recently said, I saw this great clip. We said he's doing it for himself. Yeah. Not you're ultimately the audience can enjoy it, but uh, when you create anything, you should be doing it for yourself. So that's who you have to answer to. And then listen, if um, and we've heard from other people, they they get something out of this, but uh, ultimately, as you just said, um, we get something out of it, we like talking about it. Yeah, well, I remember when I was a reporter for um, I just Moved to the big smoke of Toronto. I'm working with the UPI news agency and I got sent to a medical conference and I sat in for a bunch of different things. I came back with a notebook full of stuff, not knowing what to write about. And my editor, uh, Bob McConaughey says, what interested you? Well, there's this one section. He says, that's what you write about. He says, because if you're interested in it, other people will be interested too. And that was a great, a uh, learning piece for me about uh, writing. And I think it certainly uh, applies to uh, doing a podcast. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had, I've had many sessions with uh, friends of mine that were in the business. I wanted to do podcasts. And I basically said that I said, find something that you're really interested in talking about and just do that because I try and then because ultimately you're doing it, you know, the audience will be there or it won't, but ultimately you're doing it because it interests you. And we've been very lucky, Tim, Happy anniversary, because we're also celebrating an anniversary with uh, TaylorMade. Yes. Uh, very excited to uh, welcome back TaylorMade for our ninth year, I think, together. Certainly, uh, they've been with us for most of the last 250 episodes. Did you know that every driver has an inertia number? I didn't. And the higher the inertia number, the more forgiving the driver will be. And now golf is about to discover the first ever driver that combines tailor-made speed with the forgiveness of 10K inertia. The all-new QI10. More forgiveness means more long and straight drives even off-center strikes. The days of missing the fairway are numbered. Get ready to experience your drives in 10K with the all-new QI10. Only from TaylorMade to murder... To lure... To murder... To murder... To, to murder I was going so good there, too. To you murder... You were... You were just... You were, you were down the slope. I was almost You're done. to the bottom and you wiped out. Oh, no. That was complete. I just completely shanked that into the jungle. To learn more... Don't, by the way, for the record, don't murder, okay? Unless you're murdering drives. To learn more, visit tailormadegolf.ca. Um, and for the uh, second year, we're proud to welcome back another sponsor, Tim. Oscar Bravo. We're just so proud to be back with those guys, makers of the most 
interesting shirt. You could almost say <laughs> modeled by the most interesting man, Oscar Bravo. Um, they only make a hundred of these shirts per year, and they're made of amazing Italian fabric. By the way, not a hundred in total, but a hundred of each design. A hundred of each design. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Feels amazing on your skin, and you look amazing. And they even look great untucked. They're perfect length. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh-huh. For golf mm-hmm. or for casual, maybe even casual Fridays at your at your workplace. All right. So, um, welcome to uh, the show. After all of that, after that eight-minute preamble, what is today's show about? Well, as always, we never really know. I have a couple of ideas. I am still in Mes- in Mexico. Um, I've been in Mexico for, this is my fourth week, and I'm very lucky I can do the Humble and Fred show. I did it this morning and still work. I still have, you know, I'm still doing sales for the show and still keeping in touch with uh, clients. And then when the show's over, I just walk out the door and there's a, there's a golf courses. Um, I don't know. What, I, I did. What, should, I, should we talk? You want to talk golf first? Or you want to talk about watching live golf? Oh, well, I'm really intrigued uh, to hear you talk about live golf, just to, to see it, to experience it. Um, you know, the, the sound, the atmosphere, uh, John Rom, John Rom letting f bombs go, uh, bad chips, and um, it's just interesting to square how that. You know, we look at golf. You know, on certainly PJ Tour events, and everyone's you know hush and quiet around. And then yeah. at live golf. I understand it's a completely mm. different experience. It so isn't I just it, love to hear. I mean, you know, the Spanish have a great phrase for more or less muscle menace. You know, it's more or less like um, mm. I'm not a big. I think I mentioned this to you before. I can't remember if we talked about it. Like, you covered golf tournaments, so it's different. I'm not the biggest on-site golf tournament guy. I've had chances over the years to go to a lot of tournaments. The last time I went to a professional event was 2017 when I was in Scotland for the Scottish Open. But And a year ago, I was here when the live tournament was being played at Mayakoba, which is where they also used to play a PGA Tour event. But since Rom got signed, you know, I'm, as we talked in our last show, my um, interest level went up. And so I, I went there with my buddy Grant from New Brunswick. He was visiting here. We were on a golf trip and playing a lot of golf. And um, so the first thing I'll tell you is it was a great experience, mainly because there was nobody there. You know, that last weekend or whenever that Phoenix tournament was, you know, they had 200,000 oh people. They had two. Yeah. Okay. And, and all the yeah. puking Americans pissing themselves and all this stuff, all that aside, oh. they still had 200,000 people each day buy tickets, a typical tour event. It's easily 35 or 40,000 people right. at the live event in Mayakoba there. I would say if there was 2,500 people, there would be pushing it. Wow. So for guys like me and Grant and you and, and, and golf fans, for a, a live event, it was great because of their, if let's say it was 2,500 people, 2,000 were following Rom, Brooks Kepka, Joaquin Phoenix, um, and, and, and a couple other guys. 
And so I, we watched uh, Rom play a couple holes, and I watched him warm up, watched him hit chip shots. Like, it was great because we mm-hmm. could get so close to them. Yep. As far as the music being played and what they do, Tim, is they've got speakers wired all over the golf course. But I, I've read that what they did is they turned it down a bit. Because, he was just grimacing there. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't like, I'm not a huge fan of music on the golf course for myself, but you are? Not. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not. So I, I think from what I've read, I was going to say, what I've read is that some of the players on this tour have asked them to turn it down for a variety of reasons. So when there's lots of people around, it kind of does create a bit of a vibe. Mm-hmm. But as I'll tell you uh, later in this uh, report, <laughs> when, when you're watching only when, well, let me get to it. So we watched uh, these guys play a couple holes and I've never been near John Rahm when he's hit a golf ball until two weeks ago. And it's something, you know, he's a, he's a big man creates a lot of speed and you know those guys hit it a long way not like the guy that at your course who hits it a long way they hit a long way without when when you're close to it i want to make two golf swing observations one it's very effortless but there's some kind of um the speed at the bottom is is quite something it's quite violent at that at, at compression time and the other thing that they do that i've really sort of noticed and taken away and tried to implement it into my own game is how stable they are over the ball all of them every single pro we watched that day doesn't sway very much off the ball it's they're very well they're all you know that's why they work out you know they they're very strong mm. they've got very strong legs and what strong legs do is they give you stability. What do you think of that? Is it well, is it I'm just so intrigued there. Is it that they does it appear like far more rotational than lateral in terms of particular way their hips go? Just getting some water. You know what? It doesn't you know, like, remember that old thing back in the 70s? They used to have those uh, illustrations in Golf Digest and Golf Magazines of, you know, there was a famous illustrator. You, you would remember this where they would. Anthony Ravelli? Yeah, they would illustrate golf tips. Yeah. And, and the one that I remember is, uh, I think it was Tom Watson's, but swinging inside of a barrel. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you, when you look at them, they're so strong that they can what there's some obviously there's some lateral movement but they're so they're so in the ground that it doesn't they don't move very much off the ball and then their legs support them but man they because i've always wondered like what is it about really good players why is their their strike so consistent or predictable you know and again we all know the best players at our clubs and the young guys that hit it a long way but these guys, you know, Joaquin Newman and uh, Rom, and we watched a bunch of other players. Brooks Kepka just are so strong into the ground. It was something else. They don't miss hit a lot of shots. It, the, I, I think, would you say that compared to 20 years ago, the players 
at address from this time they start taking the club back, they basically say centered over the ball. I'm not saying they stack and tilt it. You know, I don't say they well, kind of do that saying, front, front load thing, but I think that it's way more rotational than it ever used to be. And so there's not that need to make this lateral movement where you, you know, basically taking your center of gravity, you know, that couple inches below your navel and moving that really forward. I totally agree. And, and not to get technical about golf swings again, like last time. Oh, we're technical about golf swings. But they're way more, they're way more stacked yeah. and tilty than most people would, would imagine. So you think they're starting at, when you think, or you observe that there's you know, it, weight distribution, say lead foot, trail foot, 60-40. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Especially with irons, not so much with their driver, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just I I, I, I want to make this a conversation, not a presentation. So please feel free to ask questions. Anyway, so we watched Rom for a couple <laughs> holes, um, and then um, and by the way, the whole the whole atmosphere there is very very fan friendly. It's really well organized. It was easy. Obviously, it's easy to get around when there's only a couple thousand people for fifty four mm-hmm. players. Yeah. So here's what we did. We went over and we watched. So there, the whole crowd's around Rom, Brooks, Kepka, and all this. So we went and watched Ian Poulter, Brendan Steele, who used to be on the PGA Tour, great player, won a couple times. And the young guy, I can't remember his name, but he's really, really good, ended up finishing the top 10 that week. And we just watched them play three holes. And other than the players in the group and their caddies, there was just... My buddy and I, and three other people watching. Mm. Wow! So and the music, the weird. So back to the music. So when there's only five people watching a group, the music seems a bit weird because you know it's like there's no one around except yeah. us. It's like a party with oh, and then this, no one this music's playing. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like a party. No one's there except us. But Ooh, I that, awkward. But that was my favorite because, you know, we're f- like f- five yards away from Poulter. Um, we watched them play three holes and, you know, it was just us and got it to see like we're we, we're not inside the ropes, but we might as well have been. You know, they were. Yeah, they were. We were the only ones watching and it was even stupider because they'd hit a good shot. And we're all like you know, trying to. <laughs> trying to clap and, and it's being, like watching your cousin play the tournament away to go Billy it was just so weird we're like good shot Ian he could sort of we could just say good shot so here's a did cute he, thing did he acknowledge you, you oh yeah look? dude he talked to us chip cap no he, he just said thanks so him and Brendan Steele lay up in this par 5 and then we we get up there and again we're list, we're just Few, few yards away from Polter's going over the yardage with his caddy. It's like 110 yards, and it's thinking about what to hit. Like they're do, they're just doing what pros do. Then he gets over the ball, and just about to hit it, and he goes, "Fuck! It's the wrong ball. It's it's Brendan Steele's ball." And so I think Grant said something like, "I've done that before," and Polter says. Yeah, you only do it once, then you look like an asshole. This is what he says to us. Like, we're having a conversation with the dude. But I want to tell you something that really impressed me about him. That's fun. Here's what impressed me about him from the, back to the, our reason to do this show, the mental side of the game. So we watch him play a par five, the seventh hole. 
Next hole is a pretty long par four, the eighth hole at Mayakoba. And he's got, I would say, a two-foot putt. Maybe less, but let's call it two feet. It's the kind of thing where he, he, he lagged his first putt up, and I was about to leave to go to the next tee box so we could, so we could watch him. And I sort of turned my head, and then all you, hear, so you heard this little groan, and I'm like, what happened? And Grant said he missed it. I'm like, what? He missed it? And, and he was pissed. You could see it. So we go to the ninth tee box, and again, it's a good-sized par four. No, I'm sorry, eighth was a par three. Ninth is a par four. And the, he's the last to hit because the other two guys made pars. This was my favorite part of the whole experience. You'll love this. So Poulter's going through his routine, just like you've seen him do at the Ryder Cup, and he has this kind of thing, and he's looking, and he's about to pull the trigger, and he steps away. And it was so good because, you know, he was still thinking about that missed two-footer. You could just yeah. tell. And that's what I thought. I said to Grant, I said, that was the coolest thing for me because that was such a professional. Because as he was doing his waggle, it was almost like he went a little longer than normal and he just stopped himself. And I loved it, man. I was like, yeah, that's why he's a professional golfer. Because even though there was nobody watching and it was a no nothing, who gives a shit point in the round, he stepped away because he's like, okay, I've already made a bogey. I'm not making another one. Anyway, I just loved it. That's a, that, that is so cool. I mean, that's the difference with professionals. Yeah. Is that they, they they do things that are um intentional and they're paying attention to what's going on and he went, "Whoa." The old brain just <laughs> clicked onto something else. It's not focused where it needs to be. Abort mission. So that was it. We uh, watched Dustin Johnson play uh, the same hole and uh, saw him hit a beautiful approach shot to about eight feet, sank the putt, and the uh, crowd went wild. And by crowd, I mean there was about 15 people watching him. So my, my takeaway from the whole experience, and this is where I'll throw it over to you, is I think these guys, you know, and you've read a lot of stuff lately about, you know, you know they're, not, they're not eligible for the majors, although this morning that... Joaquin uh, Newman just got invited, or Neiman or whatever, just got invited to the Masters. But I think these guys have, I think they miss playing for big crowds. Because it's Sunday, it's the, it's the last round of a tournament, and they've got nobody watching them, except the final two groups. I would... Uh... I would concur, but that was just a, it's just a guess. But the, the thing about golf, there's so many elements to it. And I have to think for professionals, it'd be this, you remember during COVID, um, yep. NHL playing the empty arenas. I mean, the, the, the players, they, they just ached to have the fans back. Because there's an energy exchange. You're you're looking at people, you're hearing the sound, and, and it's like it's all part of that. And if you've been playing for a long time at a high level, that's a key part of it for sure. I mean and those those tournaments during COVID, they didn't have any uh there was lots of golf. That's right. That's right. And and you heard pro golfers say like there just what you said, like there's there's an energy that's not there. But I, I think they're all, you know, listen, they've all made millions of dollars. You know, we, we were talking to one of the caddies on the putting green and they were saying, we were, I was saying, like, do these guys, you know, are they sort of happy? And they're like, yeah, they, they're ecstatic. They love it. 
I mean, that's what they're, you know, that's what the guy said. He said, yeah, my, my player, I can't remember who his player was, but he's, they, they're, they're ecstatic about this. But I don't know. I think there's some, you know, there's some energy loss there. And yeah, I, it, I mean, I just felt bad actually a little bit for Ian Poulter because, you know, there's one of the, one of the most famous golfers in the world. And, you know, if he was at the waste management that weekend, and let's say he was in 30th place, he'd still get to those holes where there's 20,000 people watching him do his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, people say the word ego as if it was an evil thing. Uh, no, we, ego is a, a very good thing. You, you, you need it. And we all need to be acknowledged. I don't care whether you're 65, you're still a five-year-old boy in many ways, or girl, and we like to be acknowledged. And it's like, way to go. We see you. We recognize you. We respect you. Um, that's all part of just the human condition. So I, I can see how it would be kind of empty. And that's that's part of what I just don't get about live. I mean, again, I can, I'm, I'm going to be mercifully brief on here. It's like, how much fucking money do you need? I, you know, and so... Is they don't get to play in as many events. Uh, the, the whole experience of playing appears to be diminished. Uh, so I don't know. But again, I, I think we're in a, a place of um, of transition. I, I'm still really confused what's going to happen with uh, the whole PIF thing and this um, agreement apparently they have and how that's being delayed. And there's this other thing that was announced a couple of weeks ago. Interestingly, no news conference. Yeah, just a, yeah, I heard that. Just kind of a news release, and so, so no one really knows what that's about. So we're, I think, still. Your um, your mic just cut out there, bud. Oh, uh, there you're back we, now. Okay, um, it's been an interesting start to the PGA Tour. No, you're. You, what's happened is you're. you're uh, I think you're. Uh, let's try it again. Oh, I think yeah, you kind of cut out back to the computer. We've had some uh, technical issues. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Go ahead. There we go. Yeah, you're back. I think my my pods, my iPods, it it switched over to my AirPods. I've thrown them away. Um, yeah. It's been a weird start to the PGA Tour this year. You had a bunch of, uh, uh, you had some, but people don't like it when the no names win. You know, like it's all nice to have you know have some kind of uh, feel good story when some guy wins, but people love to see. So when Matsuyama won on the weekend, people were thrilled about that. But it's been a weird start. Yeah, like, you know, I agree. Uh, Jordan being disqualified, uh, Tiger's first event, and he leaves because he's got the flu or some damn thing. No. And it's just I, mean, been I, I will say it was it was a nice win for us Canadians. And like, I watched. Uh, oh, yeah, that was huge. Like Nick Taylor winning. I was going back and forth during the Super Bowl. And finally, this uh, the first half of the Super Bowl was kind of boring. So I watched Nick Taylor. But. I agree. Like what Liv has done, because you can't argue with the top five guys in that tour being, you know, like when Dustin Johnson won last weekend, they announced that he's still, now he's the 215th ranked player in the world, which is wrong. You know, and I I don't want to, you know, get into another discussion, which we've now done, you know, week after week about this, but you know, like they've got to figure something out because Cam Smith, Brooks Kepker, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, John Rom, Joaquin, what's his name? Name there. Yeah, I know, but I, I keep calling him Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix for some reason. I don't know why. I, know, I, I, heard, I just let that go. No, I know. I, like, keep, oh, I, keep, I keep approaching really? Joaquin Phoenix. Was it a pro amp? Yeah. 
<laughs> so you can't argue with the fact that those guys deserve to be in the majors. And, you know, it's because here's what I would say. I guess the point I'm trying to make to echo your point about this, it's been a weird start to the season. As, as exciting as the Riviera was and as cool it was to see Nick Taylor, etc., those tournaments, Riviera would have been better for those five guys I named. 100%. The tour is better when John Rom, Cam Smith, et al. are part of it. And so what's happened now is it's all been kind of, I think you described it nicely in that it's very sort of confusing in a way and you're not really sure and what's going to happen. Because I want to see those guys more often than I don't. You know, and, and I even, I know I was making fun of Patrick Reed at the live thing. Like, even seeing him play was kind of neat. Because as much of a douche as he is, he's a top-level player when he's not cheating. Yeah, what a little master tournament called the Masters. It, exactly. So what Liv has done is taken away a pretty good hunk of the stars. And as I mentioned last show, once Rom left, I was like, you know, I'm going to go see him play. Whereas last year, when I was in the same area as I am now, I couldn't give two and a half shits. But seeing Rom, is, he's a draw for me, and I think a lot of other people in the sport. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the transition. I think what we talked about before we started is that Golf Digest had this, showed this video of both Rom and his caddy, in essence, begging the crowd to silence their phones. Yeah. Um, because he just couldn't get ready to hit a shot and and they hit a shot and so was saying oh he's really pissed off <laughs> and you know that, that there's he's still undergoing some degree of transition to the rock and roll lifestyle yeah exactly Liv. so we'll see um and someone said don't they also mic them up and live uh, i don't play? i don't i don't didn't see anybody wearing a mic and and i watched uh, by the way when we got home that day because I guess we were there on property, as they say, for maybe, I don't know, maybe four-ish hours, five, five at the most, but probably closer to four. And then we came back to the uh, condo here and watched the, the coverage, just because I hadn't really ever paid attention to the coverage. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, again, chaotic and different, but it wasn't terrible. But the players weren't mic'd up. Um Okay. They get pretty close to them. They can, you can hear them when they're going through their stuff with their caddies. But, you know, what they don't show you on TV is the other, you know, they basically, they, they were concentrating on those final couple of groups, but they don't show you the, the other 12 or 13 groups out there with nobody following them. Mm-hmm. And what, um, and it's a shotgun start. Yeah. That, and, and did that have any bearing on did you notice that did that seem weird or anything well the only bearing it had was luckily for us we wanted to watch john rom and he was in the final group so the final two groups tee off on on number one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah um but that's a great point you know like on the weekend um like matsuyama came from behind and the big the big uh, the big uh thing on twitter was yeah well he finished like way ahead of the the last group yeah, but in, in the shotgun start world, a guy could shoot eight under and finish on 14. That's right. You know, I, there's lots of things about the live thing I don't like, but but I feel like, and I want to wrap it up because there's other stuff, but I feel like there has to be a solution 
that gets some kind of merger where we get to have the best guys playing against each other again. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's part of what you know, when you're watching the um, you're watching the NHL, you know, like, well, these are the best hockey players in the world, you know. And now uh, the NFL is still largely American, but when you watch, you know, Major League Baseball. That's an international league. You have like so many Japanese players have come over now. Obviously, the the Latin Americans. Um, yeah, we want to see the best in the world. That's the same with basketball. But golf, no, it's you ain't got that going. So I had an experience uh, two days ago where I've been playing a lot with my brother and uh, his uh, lady friend, who's a very good golfer. I played with them yesterday, and I'll tell you about that experience in a second, but I played two days ago, and for the first time, you know, my buddy was here, my buddy Grant was here, plus I've gotten to know some guys down here that I play golf with, but I got joined up with a stranger two days ago, great guy, strong man, about 60 years old, and he shot, um, well, we weren't really keeping score. But I did for a couple holes because I was just curious. Like, what was he? What would he actually shoot? On the front nine, he would have been close to fifty-five or sixty, just based on how many balls he lost. Which I'm going to give you a tally here in a second. On the back nine, it would have been closer to seventy-five. Again, if you were like one off the tee, three off the tee, five off the tee, six off—you know what I mean? It was a lot of. It was a lot of repeated drives. Um, over the course of 18 holes, 17 actually, um, 17 because he lost his last ball on the 17th hole. And then I gave him some balls to finish. He lost, I would say, without exaggeration, 40 golf balls, 30, 30. Because he lost, because here's what I, I, I'm only estimating, because he lost it easily two balls a hole on a few holes, three or four. I mean, when I say a few, I mean on four or five holes, he lost many golf balls. And the reason I'm telling you about this man is because he was a great guy to play with. (laughs) He really was. He was very pleasant and enjoyed himself. And we, he told me all about his life and, and literally would fire three balls in the jungle and just pick up the conversation. And I was fascinated by this dude because I thought, you know, I don't know many guys I don't know very many guys that could, could have that kind of day and just be a pleasant, nice fellow to be around. And I told him that. I said, you know what? This was a I'm, I said, listen, I know it wasn't your best day. And, but I, I said, it was a really, really a pleasure playing with you. Yeah. Oh, that's a treat when you meet people like that. It just seemed like really grounded, got their heads screwed on right. But I'm thinking that first thing I thought about was, well, if there's an environmental activist listening to the show and why would they? They'd be like, <laughs> wow, they're polluting polluting the, the globe with rubber, with white rubber objects. You know, and, and I, I now listen, a little caveat. First of all, I can just tell he was that kind of guy, a real nice guy, very open, very sort of... You know, just a nice, a hail fellow well met. Nice. But about the third or fourth hole, he pulled out a joint. (laughs) And so I'm not sure if the weed contributed to the fact that he kept rifling balls off the tee into the jungle. But it certainly contributed to the fact that he was enjoying himself. (laughs) 
Did he play music? Probably in his head he did. <laughs> but at one, you know, so what I was going to say, it was really interesting for me, too, because I, I started off the day, um, I, I, I wasn't really hitting it very well. I, mean, I hit, made a couple of loose swings, and, you know, I think I, I hit a couple. I hit one ball off the first tee into the jungle. I had to re-tee, and the second hole, I kind of fatted an iron. And then around the third or fourth hole, I started playing more like I normally do. But the, the reason I'm saying this, the impression I gave him the first couple of holes was I was just like him. <laughs> and then by three, four, five, six, now I've started to hit balls like I normally do. And so he started to notice that I wasn't like him. And then this is the best. So he's pretty stoned at this point. And I just hit like my fourth or fifth really good drive in a row, like nice high draw. <laughs> he says to me, "What are you? What are you doing? That makes it do that." <laughs> do that. And I sort of laughed. I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "What are you?" And he started asking me, "Are you turning the club face?" Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "It doesn't matter what his name is." But I said, "You know what? It does." I said, "I don't know. I I really couldn't tell you what I, I mean. I could, but I just didn't think it was uh, worth." Hang on. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, I was sneezing. I just didn't think it was worth getting into a golf lesson with the guy. Because I, I, I did have a couple ideas for him, but I didn't really think that I would make any difference in his golf life. But it was, pretty, it was a pretty fun day watching a guy shoot yeah. that. But anyway. Why bother shooting around? Yeah, it's exactly. Kind of like fear, fear and loathing in my Acoba. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like he wasn't like, you know, like he was just a bit high the entire way. It was great. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's awesome. Um yeah, it's funny. It reminds me, um, I'm not sure if I told this story before on the podcast, but um, I was working with this fellow, and um, he's got a very out-in swing, so we're not going to rebuild this guy's swing in, you know, three-lesson uh, three package. I'd say, well, why don't you, if, if you hit a fade all day, would you be happy? He goes, oh, yeah. We'll say, okay, well, let's let's work on that. And... Uh, it came. He says, "He says, why don't you hit one and let's just uh, let me see what you do." So I set up and I hit fade, and then I hit another fade, and solid. And he goes, "He goes, when do you decide to swing down?" <laughs> That's right. You did say that. That's very funny. How much do you turn your hips? And and my answer to both of them was, "I have no idea." No. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you just do this thing, and it's not just be, you know it's not because I'm. Uh, tour level player you know absolutely not but it's just the it just reminds me that and maybe this fellow was somewhat the same is that so many players are looking for what's that secret thing you do what's what's the what's what's the the key that unlocks well, you know the, my, the key to nirvana my older brother swing. has a this is a great phrase and I, i'm going to steal it because he uses it. He's a psychologist and, and he's a golf brother. David's been on the show. Really smart, smart guy. And, um, you know, he deals with high level oil executives making billion dollar decisions. And so he has a real good sense of how, you know, the human mind works under stress. Mm-hmm. But he, he he's a very um, avid student of the game. And he's always the word he uses is distinction. And he yep. said, you know, all he needs or all anybody needs when they're learning something that let me back it up what you and I have and what 
people that have studied the game as we have. Well, all we have that's different than other people's. I have some distinctions. I, I can help somebody. You can help somebody by giving them a distinction that they didn't have before. And, and like David has also said, a lot of people who can do something or people who look at people that can do something think it's a magic trick or they think that they were born with it. But all it is is a, is a distinction. You know, like I, I was helping him. I've been helping him with his chipping. And, you know, he, ten, he takes it back, like a lot of guys, too far back. And then he kind of flips it at the bottom. And, you know, sometimes he chips it well and sometimes he doesn't. You know, and, and that's like a lot of guys. So I just gave him a couple little distinctions. And now, even when he does a bad one, he has at least the distinct, he has the knowledge of what was going, what went wrong when he did it. Or at least what he tends to do wrong. And that's all golf instruction is, is giving people some distinction between, you know, sort of a, I call them foundational non-negotiables and, and mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah, well, Fred Shoemaker has a great line. Here's our first Fred Shoemaker reference of the day. Um, when he's working with someone, he says, what awareness is missing, the presence of which would make all the difference. So I think we're saying somewhat the same thing, just using different Absolutely language. the same thing. Yeah. And so anyone who does anything at a high level just has a higher level of awareness. It doesn't mean they were, you know, members of the Lucky Sperm Club and have this amazing amount of talent. That whole thing is just, I mean, we don't need to debate that. It's about, it's about developing skill. And you develop skill over time through your awareness and you pick up little these things and shoemaker again talks about let's say you're chipping the ball and you're like and suddenly something jumps out at you you felt wow like you know let's say you felt that you know, you're you're for some some person say a right hand that right that trail wrist is hinged coming in and back and it's the first time they really felt that like wow my hand didn't like flip at the bottom mm-hmm. of my head it just sort of kept that so that's, in one way, a distinction. Absolutely. So when you feel that, you've experienced it. So it's not something you have to remember. You've experienced it. And that just, and, and it, you still have to pay attention. But soon that becomes less of what you're doing and becomes more of who you are. And, you know, we, we've had some. You, go ahead. Yeah. I'm. Uh, no, no, please finish. Um, because I know you're you're wearing different headphones. Anyway, um, what I can say, like, we've had lots of discussions in 250 shows about mental blocks that people have around the game and shame and shadows. And uh, obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about strategy. And we spent a little time the last couple of shows talking about golf swings. But I, I gave another chipping lesson to a guy this last week who was just watching me hit balls in the range, and we started talking. And Good guy. Been around the game a long time. Pretty decent player. And they said, after we'd finished sort of talking on the, the range, he said, oh, I'm going to go hit some uh, sh- you know, chip shots. It's like one of the worst parts of my game. And then I said, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't. I'm not a magician, but I, would you like me to come over and have a look? And he said, sure. But on the way over there, his whole mindset is this is a hard part of the game that he has trouble with. You know, now melding the the swing thoughts and the, you know, the our show. I think a lot of people feel like they're mentally 
Like he felt mentally like it's something he couldn't do. Because mm-hmm. as you said, he's never felt that. And then I got him set up. So all of a sudden he was feeling some compression that he'd never felt before. And it was like this light bulb went off. Yeah. But what it did was it punctured his mental roadblock of, I can't do this. And I think there's a little bit of that. I think on, as we go forward in this show, maybe that's kind of a nice spot for us to get to where part of the mental dysfunction of golf has to do with some of the physical issues that people have because, as you said, they don't have the awareness, and as David says, they don't have the distinction. Yeah. Well, so much of it is is <laughs> I, I just came up with this recently, and it's probably someone's already got it and trademarked it, but it's it's all based on our BS. And that's our beliefs and our stories. Yeah. And the things that we believe about ourselves that, oh, I'm shitty and bunkers. And then what's the story? Well, I never got good instruction. I started golf late. I have bad practice habits, blah, blah, blah. I don't get to practice or whatever. So so you're BS. But what I think really what golf so much of it is, is how do we move forward is learning what's actually possible. Yeah. And starting to pay attention to what's actually happening. And I think that the the thing that I just find constantly, and it's like, you just inundate. It's not a tsunami. It's, I don't know what the fuck it is it, 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 of, of just this information that just comes at everybody all the time through video and through your phone. And it's all this external information. And so people are constantly trying to chip or do something, thinking about they're trying to do something right that they read about, heard about. So they're thinking, thinking about moving their body parts. And when you're thinking, thinking, you're not actually paying attention. You don't feel what's happening when you're caught, when you're thinking. So to me, it's so people don't actually experience what they are doing. They're trying to match some models. Yeah, absolutely. And and so it's more to me, it's more about like what makes you, you know, a plus handicap broadcaster is that as you developed, you had some talent at this stuff. As you developed your skill, there's certain things that you became aware of that 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 you do maybe do less of this, do more of that. Oh, this is cool from your own experience. And you take that forward. But if you were trying to. You know, pick some broadcast and do what he or she does. Well, that's not who you are, and it's the same as in golf. You no, have I to think learn. That's very well said. So, anyways, yeah. No, I do. I, I think that a lot of people spend so much time on the range or in block practice trying to assimilate something their instructor told them or something they saw on, online, and to do it perfectly. But what what you just said, there's a lot in that about you know messing around on your own. Like I think that I. I, you know, and Fred was the one, Fred Shoemaker, another mention, but Fred Shoemaker in the few conversations I've had with him, I always remember him saying that sometimes he just likes to go out and screw around. And I love that, you know, like going out and, you know, I, 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 and oftentimes when I suggest this to people that I'm talking to about their swings, I go, you know, well, okay, first of all, your ball's too far forward in your stance. So just accept that. But maybe next time you go to your range, go to the range, Put it way back in your stance. Put it way forward. You know, do something different than just trying to make this swing or this change that you think you need where what you said about 
you know, finding what works for you, it doesn't have to look exactly like everybody's golf swing. Yeah, well, I mean, we could go through the list. Mo Norman, uh, Bubba Watson, Jim Furyk, um, Brooke Henderson. Lee, Tra- Lee Trevino. They have these, they, you know, that they, they don't match any kind of model, but man, they apparently they we've seen that they managed to hit it pretty damn good. You know, people dig it, doing it on their own. There, there's absolutely there's certain fundamentals you gotta get and concepts you have to understand. If you're trying to scoop the ball with your irons, like get under it. Sorry, you're going to struggle all day. Yeah. But when you understand certain things, and then but but it more is discovery on your on your own. Then that, those are things that you can own rather than have to think about. You know, people forget that Lee Trevino, when he first came on tour in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, his swing was sort of uh, a bit of an anomaly because in those days, because of this, the technology and the kind of shafts that were in clubs and wooden headed drivers, you know, mm-hmm. people, you know, people didn't want to fade the ball because it spun too much. And then along comes this Lee Trevino character who, who history, 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 that's how I pronounce history. History will, you know, golf historians consider one of the top four ball strikers ever. You know, he played a bit of a fade. That was a big deal. And because, because he did it on his own. Anyway, uh, we got to wrap it up soon. So I'll finish this, uh, I had, I had two experiences. So two days ago, I played with a guy shot 130 minimum. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I played with my, my brother, David, golf nerd, smart golf nerd, and uh, mi cuñada, which is Spanish for sister-in-law. So, and she's a very fine player. Now, I've played this golf course now for a couple years, tons and tons of time, and I don't always play it from the same tees. I've played it mostly from the blue tees, which are 6,600 yards, which is long, a long golf course down here because it's, it's at sea level. You have to add 10% to everything. So it's long. Mm-hmm. I play the white tees sometimes at 6,400 yards. I've played the back tees, Tim. I played nine holes of the back tees the other day, and they're 3,600 yards. So it's very long. I've seen lots of hybrids into par fours. Three was into par fours. It was quite of an interesting day. But yesterday, I decided to play the senior tees. And the senior tees are on the same deck as the red tees. And the, the distance was about 5,400 yards. Mm-hmm. So taking my 10% rule, close to 6,000 yards, but probably a little under it. And you know what? I had a riot. And, I, and I, the reason I mention it is I want to say to a lot of men listening... You know, there's been this thing about playing the, the tees that are right for you. And what does it say about you? I don't give a shit. I moved up to those tees because part of the experience I wanted to have was I wanted to be with the people I was with. Yeah. I don't want to be 60 yards by them on every tee standing there by myself. And the other part of the experience for me was what, what would this golf course look like from here? And I'll got to tell you, it's a tough golf course. And on the front nine, I didn't shoot under par. In fact, I made a couple bogeys. I shot a couple over. Yes, I wasn't hitting driver off the tees all the time. And, but a couple times I hit three woods and, you know, they were off the fairway and I made bogeys. I'm just going to tell you, on the back nine, I, I got a little bit, uh, what do they call it? I made four birdies and shot three under. So, okay. Nice. I did. 
But but I will tell you that it was the yes, a lot of par fours I could get to near the green on my tee shot. But I still had to hit shots. I still it was still fun. And it wasn't like a pitch and putt. And I gotta tell you, it was I'm gonna do more of it. Because it gave me just a different perspective. And that's what I wanted. It's also pretty exciting to be putting for birdies. All the time, exactly. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that um when uh, parents and coaches have like a like a, a really great junior golfer, let's say someone who's like ten or twelve years old, you keep them playing the forward tee so they get used to shooting low scores, yes. and so they don't get freaked out when they've got a putt for sixty eight. You want them to to become part of that. Oh, I got that. I can handle that because um, and it's a oh somebody was it on the corn ferry? The guy shot 50. yeah, shot fifty seven. Yeah, and I heard some guys saying, well, it was a short, uh, you know, guys on my on a thread going, it was a short golf course, all this. And I'm like, I don't care who the F you are. You're, you're putting for, you know what you're putting for. And that creeps into your cranium. Absolutely about does. what this is worth. And so uh, don't give me that nonsense about the, the course not being, you know, challenging enough. Bullshit. You got you still have to play the course and, um, and deal with deal with the game so but just quickly i last year i was the uh captain of our senior writer cup team and uh because i'm over 65 i had to play the white tees it was a gas i loved it yeah. we had lots of fun yeah well i can tell you there was a guy over at the national for years you probably you maybe you met him at the i'm sure you've heard of him joe rice oh yeah and Joe's joe was the he was a legendary canadian pro and just a real character. And when I was starting to play, you know, Ontario amateurs and things like that and qualifying for some of these tournaments, he said to me, you should go, he said, you should play the front tees or go somewhere else for a couple of weeks before these tournaments. I said, why, Joe? He said, because the guys you're about to play against don't think shooting 75 is a good score. Whereas at the national, if you shoot 75 every day, you're a scratch golfer. And it took me a long time to figure that out because I've shot more rounds in the 60s since I've been a member at Glen Karen than I've ever shot prior to that. Because, because the course is easier. They just are. I mean, every course is easier than the National. But, but I just, because I also got a little bit more comfortable, just, just as you said, like, you know, I've been under par before and I don't, Whereas before, let me put this with when I was at the national, if I was under par at any point in the round, I was as likely to, you know, uh, sh- I, I shit the bed because I was so unused to it. But exactly. yesterday, you know, yesterday I got, you know, I birdied the first two holes of the back nine to go back to even. And then I birdied another hole later on and I bogeyed a hole and I birdied another hole. So I was one under with a couple holes to go and no part of that phased me. I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I'd like to shoot. I actually, I thought, you know, you know, I got a chance to make a couple other birdies. I could shoot, you know, 69, but I was p- very comfortable being one under because I've had more experience with it. And again, I know people say, well, I can't relate because I can't break 80, but I guarantee you the more comfortable you get around 80, the more likely you are going to shoot 77. Yeah. Did you also have a stone compadre distracting you? <laughs> A what? Oh, no, I didn't. Yesterday, no one was stoned. 
<laughs> no, no, there was no stone. There was no stoners in the group except me and David, and we weren't. Uh, Guys, no, there was nobody yeah. stone shooting 130. No, exactly. Well, then I'll tell you what. I did not shoot 71 the day the guy was shooting 130. Trust me. Oh God, it's just. I remember last year at uh, what was the, the round I got hit. There was a guy we were playing with, and and uh, I could tell right off the first tee. Uh, this guy was a new golfer, and he would take three practice swings and hit it 20 feet. Then he hit it 50 yards. Finally, by the fourth tee, there's like the, the golf course is backed up. <laughs> and, and I just finally said, I can't remember what his name is, Bill, whatever. I said, Bill, you might think I'm just an arrogant prick asshole. You can think what you want. But here's a little tip for you. I said, if you're not on the green by the, the mount, the hold is par, then just pick up and just pick it up yeah beside the green throw because it'll be easier for you and it'll be easier for everyone and i kind of looked back i said see all these guys on t's like arms mm-hmm. folded and yeah I'm like okay yeah it's a tough game man it's a tough game when That's you're, so you know you're getting older when you can start having those conversations go like you can think i'm an asshole yeah i think <laughs> I have well, my I th- control over that you probably thought i was an asshole anyways yeah, but you're still in your 60s i think in your 70s you don't even say that you say hey fucker just throw the ball over there okay <laughs> yeah. Right. Once you get to seventy, you don't, you don't even do the preamble anymore. You just go, "Hey, hey dude. kid!" Yeah. You go, "Hey, dude, pick it up." Um, all right. Well, there you have it. Our two hundred and fiftieth episode of Swing Thoughts. Thanks to uh, Taylor Made Golf. Thanks to Oscar Bravo, uh, Coach Tim. Thanks to you as always. And uh, how do people get uh, involved in the Coach Tim experience? Uh, well, I would say the best place is uh, toconnor.substack.com. Uh, I write a blog every week, comes out every Friday, and there you can connect to uh, my website and learn about uh, the coaching I do at the golf house, the workshops I do for organizations. Yeah, it's all there. T. Um, O'Connor at Substack.com. And speaking of the golf house, Tim's doing a clinic. Uh, when is your clinic, sir? Actually, this uh, Sunday, and it's already sold out. So What? Uh, yes, yes, what? yes. So, yeah. All right, so man. Pretty- well, listen, um, uh, episode 251 in a couple of weeks time looking very forward to it and uh, as always the uh, program produced by the Humble and Fred uh, uh, podcast company and you can get a hold of us at the uh, Empire <laughs> the uh, Mothership Humble and Fred Radio and until next time we'll see you Sound of the river you stop and you hold everything Band is blowing Dixie, double fall time.